Welcome to Real Truth Real Quick. My name is Rick Smith, Director of Digital Ministries at Watermark Church in Dallas, Texas, and I'm here with my friend, Todd Wagner. Hey, Rick. Hey, friends. How you doing, Todd? I'm good. I got a, a good one for you that I know if anybody can answer in five minutes, you can. <laughs> here we go. What is Calvinism? Wow. Help me understand this. Yes, five minutes. Here we go. Calvinism is the topic of no small amount of conversation debate over the last 400 plus years. 400 plus years because Calvinism is the label commonly given to the theology that was uh, presented through the French reformer John Calvin, who lived in the 16th century. It was really formalized with a debate with what's called Arminians, who believe more in free will than divine sovereignty. We're going to do another whole real truth real quick on that. How do you harmonize the divine sovereignty of God taught in scriptures and human responsibility taught in scriptures? That's yeah. another real truth real quick they should check out. But uh, the Synod of Dort is when they really work this out, the very beginning of the 17th century. Calvinism is most easily understood through... Uh, an acronym, TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, that really has been the predominant methodology of teaching Calvinism over the last just 100 years or so. Calvin didn't use TULIP. Uh, he just described the things that became captured in the TULIP acronym. So what's TULIP? T stands for total depravity. Uh, total depravity is not the idea that men can never do anything good by man's accounting. We would never say that, that men are impossibly able to do something good. Men do good things all the time. What they don't do is things that will allow them to be redeemed or righteous in the eyes of a holy and perfect God. Total depravity is the idea we are flawed to the core. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, totally unable to save ourselves. That's total depravity. The U, unconditional election. Unconditional election is basically that God will do what he will do. He is sovereign, and in his uh, prevenient grace, in his uh, kindness in his sovereign will, he has chosen and elected those that he would save, even those that are, as all men are, not seeking good, not seeking righteousness. The scripture says in Romans 3, there is none who does good. There is none who seek God. But God in his kindness will choose to save some. That's unconditional election through his sovereign goodness and grace. The L is limited atonement. It's one that we'll start to talk a little bit more about maybe as I define how I answer. Am I a Calvinist? But limited atonement is basically the idea that Christ died for the elect, or he died for those that are saved. Um, the big, big debate in this is um, whether or not you can really, with integrity, say to people that aren't elect that God loves you, God died for you. Because if they're not elect, if a person defines limited atonement too narrowly, they would say you can't really genuinely say that, okay? Um, others would say there's what's called the sufficient, efficient argument, that the blood of Christ is sufficient for all men, but only efficient for those that respond to it. The problem others have with that is that they would say, well, we would never want to say that something we do is what makes the perfect blood of the sovereign God of eternity efficacious in our life. Okay, I think there's a way to respond to that, but anyway, that's limited atonement. Uh, the I is irresistible grace, and it just basically means that when God woos us, when God chooses to show his uh, mercy and grace to us, whether it be just through um, a predetermined pain in our life that we see our need or uh, just the preaching of the word, we are irresistibly drawn to the offer of salvation that comes to us. And there is no resisting that when God wants to. Now, we still make a choice to respond, but it is his initiation that irresistibly woos and draws you. That's irresistible grace. The last one, perseverance of the saints. Some might say preservation of the Savior. It's the idea, basically, that, um, that 
he is faithful even when we are faithless. And anybody that is unconditionally elect of God, irresistibly drawn, that the atonement of Christ is for them, that that depravity is, is covered, and that Christ will save you. Uh, as a shepherd, he won't lose a single one of his sheep. And that you will, some would say, even continue to be sanctified more and more up to the very end. Others would say, whether you're increasingly sanctified or not, you will be saved because of the perfect and finished work of Christ on the cross. So there you go, very quickly, that is just a primer on Calvinism. Well, that was a, that was a really good summary on Tulip, but here's the question on a lot of people's minds, yeah. is Todd Wagner a Calvinist? Are you a Calvinist? <laughs> yeah, you know what, I hope I'm a Biblicist, and I think John would say the same thing, Calvin, that he wants to just be somebody who rightly and accurately interprets the Word of God. I don't even want to be a Paulist, I want to be a person who follows what the Spirit teaches. I want to do what 2 Timothy 2.15 says, which is rightly divide the word of truth. And I think Calvin got a lot awful right. When someone asks me this question, are you a born-again Christian? I don't even answer that one yes or no. Okay, labels are very difficult because when somebody says, are you a born-again Christian, if, what they mean by that is, you know, you're a right-wing extremist, Sister Bertha, better than you, homophobic person who always votes Republican? No. Okay, but if they go, are you a born-again Christian? And by that, you mean that apart from God's regenerating work in your life, there's no way you could be saved? Yeah, that's me. And hopefully, as a result of that, the spirit of God, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, etc., are evident in my life. So if someone asks me, what, am I a Calvinist? I'll say, define that for me. And based on how they define it, I'll either say yes or no, or I wouldn't define limited atonement or perseverance that way. But yes, okay, one thing I would tell you, Rick, is that sometimes Calvinism and Reformed theology are so equated that you've got to be careful because when someone says you're a Calvinist, they'll just assume you're Reformed. But I would just then say, okay, maybe I like your definition of Calvinism. What's your definition of Reformed? Okay, and if Reformed begins to roll into what's called covenant theology, I might have a problem with it. I, I, I consider myself Reformed. I'm part of the Protestant Reformation. I'm not Catholic. But I don't believe that Israel is the church and the church is Israel. That's another real truth real quick yes. for another day. Yes. But, but there you go, six minutes. Well, way to go. Hey, people, <laughs> people study, debate, talk, write about this topic, not just for five minutes, but for five decades. Yeah. And so, Centuries. Yeah. So if you'll visit Real Truth real quick, we'll put some books, other resources. If you really are super interested and want to dig deeper in this topic, we got you covered, and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Don't be known as a Calvinist. Be known as a follower of Jesus. Follower and it just so Jesus. happens where Calvin gets it right, make sure you get it right with him.